Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Welcome to episode 35 of Coaching Inside the Box. We are excited to have you today. To begin, begin. Well begun is half done. Whatever you do or think you can, begin it. Boldness has power and genius and magic in it. Starts are so important. When you get started on something, it sets you on a path that enables you to really do something big, something great, something um, that maybe your peers can't do. When we talk about soccer, when we talk about soccer development, we talk about child development, the beginning stages carry more weight and more power than any other stage within soccer development. That's my opinion. We at our club, Andy, Philippe, I, our entire team, have focused intensely on the two to five-year-old age group since 2007, 2006, for a very long time. And that focus is born not because we can access players before other clubs do. But that focus was, uh, was there because we recognized that if we had two, three, four-year-olds doing things with the ball that others could not, it would put those players and their self-concept far ahead of their peers before their peers ever started playing. And then at five and at six and at seven, they'd get more of the ball, more of the touches, more of the development. And that increased touch, amount of touches and that increased development that they have would set them on a, on, on a path that raises their ceiling and makes their future brighter than ever before. Andy, in 2006, when you first had the, the conversation with Scott, about starting the Happy Feet Soccer program. Was it all centered around the ability to put the ball at, our, at younger kids' feet earlier than, than maybe most soccer clubs or most soccer coaches thought possible? Well, you know, let's, I came in here with, a, with an agenda, you know. Like every off, episode. So, well, yeah, you know, it's, you know, obviously, you know, that we, we've all got our passions and our perspectives that are important, or at least we feel they're important, you know. And I got to thinking about you two, you know, because... I wasn't the one that pushed for this episode, was I? You know, it was you guys that pushed for this episode. You know, and I got to thinking about why you pushed for this episode. And I realized that it comes down to who you are, you know, in your character. You know, and, and you know, Andrew, you've always been childish. You know, that's just been the way in which you've looked at the world. And so, you know, I, I thought to myself, it's no surprise, is it? Thank you for Andrew, the compliment. Yeah, yeah. It. It, you know, Andrew's looked at the world like a three-year-old. He's Mr. Enthusiasm. He goes after everything with the enthusiasm of a kid that, that has never known anything but, you know, fun, positives, you know, just play, you know. And so, you know, that's a huge part of who you are is is... You know, and it is, you know, a backhanded compliment, you know. I'm just waiting for you to grow up. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's never happening. It's never happening. Mr. Peter Payne. <laughs> <laughs> and then a huge part of the motivation for this episode came from Philippe. You know, and I thought to myself, well, doesn't you know, that just take the cake? Because Philippe grew up in a society that treats soccer like they're perpetually three years old. You know, it's just an adventure. Every single game is about, you know, doing something 
funky. It's not about, you know, winning. It's not about the grind. It's not about just just toughing it out. You know, it's about carnival. It's about just, you know, being out on the ragged edge and doing things really creatively. Now, what was your question? (laughs) (laughs) I came in with a plan, too, and it involved you answering the question when I asked it. Okay, well, it was wrong. It was a bad plan. (laughs) (laughs) So, tactically, you've never been the smartest. (laughs) Well, you know, I I think a lot of the listeners don't necessarily realize, but, um, but our organization in 2006, launched a program called Happy Feet to use nursery rhyme songs, stories, and games as a way to engage two, three, four, and five-year-olds with the ball at their feet. I'm not even going to say soccer. It's actually while coaching Happy Feet. It was a criticism I got from kids sometime. When are we going to play soccer? Well, we're just going to keep playing games with the ball at your feet, like uh, red light, green light, right? Um, We're going to sing songs um, like roll, roll, roll your ball gently down the field. We're going to do really fun developmentally appropriate activities um, with children as a way to help them fall in love with the ball at their feet, help them fall in love with the, with their ability to manipulate the ball, build um, or implement the, the building blocks for the drag Maradona, for the scissors, for the Puskas, those small building blocks that help ensure that kids um, develop a ton of confidence and willingness to do things with the ball of their feet. And, and that Happy Feet program started in Kansas City initially. Um, it, well, it didn't really. Uh, it started in Long, on Long, Long Island? Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to give credit to the guy that, that uh, opened my eyes to the possibilities of working with the three, four, and five-year-olds. A gentleman, but he's not a gentleman. I shouldn't say gentleman. He'd, he'd be very disappointed in me if I described him as a gentleman. Is a guy called Mike Bell, and he was from the uh, the the working class enclave, which you know is rare on Long Island, of Levittown. And Levittown was this, you know, this area that was built, uh, you know, much in the, in the in the you know the the concept of Ashington. You know where it was all built in a certain way, you know, to a certain design, and and uh, it was very, very blue collar working class, you know, especially for you know uh, what is really a suburb of New York City, you know, even though it's on the island. Uh, and Mike was this, um, you know, you know, came from a you know Catholic, you know, uh, Irish Catholic background, and you know, Mike was this rough and ready New Yorker, you know, just you know, uh, a bit brash. You know, especially when he moved to Kansas City, he was very, by Kansas City standards, you know, he was very out there on the ragged edge, you know. And But he was an absolute genius with, you know, little kids. And, uh, you know, he said, come and help me with my mini kickers class is, is you know, what we called it in those days. And uh, he said, come and help me with a mini kicker class. And so I tagged along as, you know, as his right hand man and basically just watched him working with these kids, and he had the imagination of a three-year-old. And, you know, he was the one that, that Pied Pipered these kids into all these fun stories and all these fun games, and he made them a part, a character in these fun games and stories, and just opened my eyes to a whole different way of looking at coaching three-, four-, and five-year-olds, an anti-instructional way, mm-hmm. you know, a, a you know, trigger-the-imagination way. You know, and but do it in such a way that it involved, you know, slightly more advanced physical skills than they've been used to doing with a ball at home. 
you know, so that they were acquiring better agility, better coordination, you know, better timing, you know, all these these things that are vastly important in the game of soccer. And and that amazingly early head start physiologically, you know, the is kind of hard to catch up with. If you if you've been the guy that's you know, not doing that stuff, and you come up against kids that have been exposed to, you know, challenging physiological programs when they're young, you know, and they've developed this head start, you know, uh, recovering from that is difficult. It yep. takes years. And for sure. And so, so, so Andy, Andy, through Mike Bell, started the Mini Kickers program um, at some indoor facilities that he ran here locally in Kansas City in the 80s. And that idea stuck with him. Andy, you held on to that idea. And then in 2006, you and Scott and the Legends Club here in Kansas City launched Happy Feet. Um, and within just a few months, you had hundreds of kids between the ages of two and five registered for this Happy Feet program in Kansas City. Over the next 15 years, we've since expanded it to, I think, 36 states, seven countries, four different continents, where we've partnered with people in their local communities, helping them to establish and grow their own Happy Feet program. Um, and, and so we have been at the forefront, I think, here, particularly um, uh, in the United United States, but but really in some unique enclaves across the world too: China, Peru, Ecuador, Scotland, um, to name just a few. Um, at the forefront of, of of coaching thought related to how you can give a start well begun that is half done to players um, that fits both the culture and the society that they live in, um, but engages them in a way um, that that gives them that head start and then increased level of self concept and self confidence. Um, I think oftentimes about um, we talk about it often on this podcast about the the culture and environment Philippe that you grew up in around the game and we talk about it all the time right and and it, it it's it's uh, it's it's ingrained within the culture that that kids are going to have a ball at their feet and they're going to go out and play and they're going to go out and do things right and that that builds their confidence related to what they can do with the ball at their feet right and and then how they manipulate the ball. We talk all the time about here in, in the United States, we'd love to have that culture, but simply we don't, right? Like, we're, it's not going to be a scenario where our kids just go play in the street with their friends like they do um, in Brazil or at the, the base of the apartment on the, on the, the, the concrete court. Um, instead, we've got to create environments that give us a chance that fit with our culture and our society. And I genuinely think that the Happy Feet program, the designed program using nursery rhyme songs stories and games you just said the magic word for me and you said mike bell recognized that if he could have the kids imagination become the storytellers within the soccer activity that they were doing then um you, you i mean so much of the work's already done right the kids are engaged they're ready to go to go um and, and that's an important piece and so i i just think oftentimes that those of you that are listening if you if you're thinking about your own specific coaching style your own specific community or your own specific club the value of starting a two three four and five-year-old program is a game changer in terms of what it'll do for the for, for your local community long term and the players individually that get started through that program yeah you know and and mike was very clever because you know the first time he took me down on the field you know and the fields were not tiny they weren't you know they weren't small fields like we've got we put in the field so yeah you know the little kids we've got three different sizes would be corralled on a small field they couldn't get any more than 36 feet away 
you know, because the fields are 36 feet long. So, you know, it was very, very sly of us and sneaky of us because we made it totally manageable because it's a prison. (laughs) (laughs) We've got six of those little prisons. And when we get the little devils in our prison, you know, they can't be too far away from the coach. And so they can hear everything. And, you know, and, you know, we found on these bigger fields that the smallest one had to be 100 feet long. You know, the, you know, a kid could escape into the far corner and it would disrupt the whole class. You know, Mike, though, would very cleverly go chasing after the kid, you know, and, you know, the kid didn't want to come back to the group. But Mike would say, hey, want to be Superman? <laughs> and all of a sudden the kid's his, yeah. you know, you know, and, and uh, he said, come on. He said, you know, he said, put your arms up, you know, stretch out. You know, so the kid would put his arms in the air and Mike would scoop him up and hold him under his belly and say, now, make the Superman noise, you know, whatever that was, you know, it didn't matter, you know, and, and, and Mike would Superman him back to the group. The only problem is everybody else ran away because they wanted to be Superman. <laughs> 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 but, but we had a way of getting them back that didn't involve tantrums and, you know, and, and grabbing them by the hair and dragging them across the field. And, you know, it was just a very clever way of getting kids to, you know, the word is it's actually got a negative connotation, coerce kids into doing what you wanted them to do for their own good you know so that they actually interacted with the ball you know and and it it worked like a dream i mean that's what good coaches and good educators do is i mean you can use the term with a negative connotation of course but it's we're selling constantly a, a an idea related to this type of action will better benefit you individually and so if you get the math book out at night and do your homework or because you find those word problems that i've put together to be particularly interesting or if you read more because the book that i've chosen for the class to read is a book that you find to be you know enormously um, uh, engaging then then i've tricked you into improving your language and and that's the i think the point of it all and so if there's anything that, that I think um, can be said specifically to the magic of the Happy Feet classes that we've put on for almost two decades now here um, in Kansas City and with our partners across the world, that, that magic is that, that, that we've gotten really good at, at making the ball at your feet really, really fun. I, again, I, I pulled myself back from saying soccer because much of our sessions are built around soccer skills, not about a soccer game or soccer drills. And I think when you think initially, if you go up to the rec field and watch a five, you know, five-year-old rec soccer practice, those kids are stood in line. They're taking turns. The coach is using um, uh, lines and cones as a way to organize and control the kids. There's and, a way to bore them to tears. Yeah, and there's something to be said for that. And, and I think that's where the magic of, of the sessions that we've put I on. I think one from. of the things that really you know, drags my attention to Happy Feet is like the kids are doing things with the ball. They're working on the fundamentals. They're getting their skills. They're getting ready for the next step when they're five, six, whatever, without them even noticing they're doing. It reminds me of, you know, Karate Kid when Daniel LaRusso goes to Mr. Miyagi and he has him walking the car and painting the fence. And he's like, why am I doing this? And he was working on those movements. He was making those movements so intuitive. Then after one day he rebelled, Mr. Miyagi attacks him and he uses the same movements to, to stop him. And I think Happy Feet has a lot of that. Like the I, kids I can't are, think of a worse example for Happy Feet. I, mean, <laughs> I was kind of into it. I, I, yeah, I, I get what you know, you're saying, but you know, is, you know, that whole situation you know, with Mr. Miyagi was about repetition, repetition. 
But my goodness, how boring, how, you know, how totally frustrated Daniel got because it was the most frustrating, boring, mindless, you know, hour after hour activity. And that's the total opposite of what we do because, yeah. because we have a bobcat. Yeah, and, well, well, hold on, don't, don't interrupt because this is really Well, you important. interrupted me, so. <laughs> hey, listen. You uh, my next sentence was like, but we're doing this in a fun way that is stimulating <laughs> the kids and using their imagination so he couldn't let me finish. If you want to get paid on Friday, shut up. <laughs> it's, it's, you know. Turn you off my mic. He was drawing a comparison to your sessions. That was the thing. Is that the oh, did you have to go there? Really? You know, my boring session? uh, uh, But see, the thing is, and this is the genius of of Happy Feet, is is the ball isn't a ball. The ball is what? Bob the Bobcat. It's Bob the Bobcat. And what the little kids love, you know, number one, little kids have no power in life. So when they have a pet, they have power. So even, you know, this little, you know, this, this, you know, this uh, emperor, you know, wannabe little kid that he has no power, all of a sudden you give him his own pet, Bobcat, you know, and he has power over the Bobcat. So now, you know, the little kids in their imagination, they're this all-powerful figure, you know, and they can prescribe the exercise for the Bobcat. So what we do is we just tell them a story that includes them as the leader, as the controller, as, you know, the person with their own pet that they love, this this lovely fluffy little bobcat, which really is a soccer ball, but in their imagination is their pet, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we've got something to, you know, a little pal to go on adventures with, you know, and, and that's really the key is we've given them something that they've been introduced to already in life as something that to a certain degree they can control, that's fun, that's lively, that triggers the imagination. And so they're like 90% there when we give them their bobcat. And it's a soccer ball, you know, which obviously is a lot of fun on its own, but it's a soccer ball that has all of the, in their mind, in their imagination, the characteristics of a pet. And it's huge, mm-hmm. absolutely huge. And and um, and when you think about, I mean, you were talking about the building blocks to the skills, right? Like uh, over time, I mean, we didn't do this initially, but over time, we built out a curriculum that really built on itself. And depending on the age of the kid and the month that they're in, they have a specific core building block of skill that 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 our coaches employ or use um, as a part of every story and song that they 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 run the kids through in that specific week. And the Maradona turn is very specifically a, um, a, a difficult skill, I, I think, for kids to learn on the front end, right? Especially when they're young, when they're two, three, four years old, the Maradona turn has numerous different phases within it. And if you ask any preschool teacher, teaching a three-year-old a four-phase skill is 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 useless pie in the sky yeah it's not going to happen and so but when you break it down into a roll and a stop that works and so they build this skill related to their ability to roll and stop and then when you take that roll and stop and add a pullback to it now we've got a roll stop pullback we're halfway there right and it builds this this level of confidence within kids that is is pretty significant um i I remember my own son who's now nine uh, we were talking about his team before we started recording or some of his teammates um when he was i don't know three i think uh I, i came into the office uh it was a snow day um, brought him with me, and Andrew Vorce was in the room. 
And Andrew Vorce, um during that period was kind of at the, the, the leading, leading forefront in terms of helping us develop more Happy Feet content and Happy Feet curriculum. And Vorce was like, wait, Cal doesn't know how to do a Maradona yet? And I was like, no. He goes, ah, give me, give me 15 minutes and I'll show him. And so we went out to the Redfields. I actually have it. I cameraed the whole thing and then cut it up into a cute little video. Uh, but in 15 minutes, uh, Vorce had my three-year-old Cal doing a Maradona turn and cheering himself. Uh, you know, Cal was cheering himself on at the end and just his enthusiasm and his self-concept was so high um, that, it, that it, you know, it was pretty, pretty great. Fast forward another year and a half and Heartland, the big soccer league here in town, was running a tournament, and they needed a team in August. They didn't have a team. And I, I was like, you know what? I'll throw together a team. So I threw, threw together a bunch of 2011s and 2010s to play in this, this tournament. Well, we only had nine kids or whatever, and I was like, if I'm going to be out there, I'm going to take my six-year-old cow with me. So I took the six-year-old cow with me. As soon as he gets the ball, what's he do? He ribs off a Maradona turn <laughs> under pressure. I mean, it's the first time he'd ever shown up to a soccer game in a uniform, um, and he pulls off a Maradona turn playing against kids you know, two and three years older than him. Why? Because he'd learned that skill through happy feet, through the happy feet system especially, um, and then had just developed a, a really high self-concept for it and you know, never looked back from a confidence perspective on, on a soccer field. And I think that's a very key point is like he wasn't scared of doing a skew under pressure against kids two, three years older than him. He was just like, he didn't know any better. It's, it's what soccer is for him. And he got the ball, he's like, that's my chance. I'm going to do the Maradona turn. It's going to be awesome. And giving that confidence for the kids, you know, it's what a lot of times we watch in the professional game and, you know, some players are missing. You know, people are talking about Anthony now and Manchester United. Like, he doesn't do the same amount of skills and taking people on like he was doing at Ajax. He was doing in Sao Paulo, even for the Brazilian national team. He's, you can see he's playing for United a little more, way more timid because, you know, a lot of that comes down to that. Having that confidence to try the skills and to try the big plays, it's a very, very big portion of the biggest players on the game, you know? And that's what, you know, as soon as we start with the kids, the earlier that we start with the kids, you know, soccer is a marathon. If you start a marathon earlier, you have more chance to succeed. Uh, it's not rocket science, so getting the kids young and teaching them the fundamentals while having fun, you know, and using their imagination to do it. It's, it's the vehicle for success. I have a question. You know, Cal pulls off these Maradona turns, you know, playing up a couple of years and, you know, and, and he's that skillful and successful. Are you sure he's yours? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I am because he's a rebel without a cause. Um, and my kid would also be the type of kid that could be a good field player and has decided, you know what, I'm going to be a goalie because those shirts look cool and I can get a pair of gloves. So. <laughs> Which is just like what you were when you were. Yeah, 100%. When I first when started I coaching you. <laughs> when I was You know, nine. you were the one that grabbed those gloves and you wanted to be in goal. I think finally you had to say, Andrew, uh, Matt's going to play in goal today. Are you <laughs> sure? Well, sure I realized you that you know the only reason you want to be in goal is because you didn't want to work hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was my brother. So let, let, you know, let me you know, and you can think of the next question because this is just going to be brief for once. Uh, yeah, but, right. <laughs> but but you know, let me you know put the my my academic hat on, if I may. Um, you know, our beliefs where happy feet are concerned. Uh, we believe children threatened with mediocrity 
can achieve greatness through intelligent mentorship. We accomplish this by truly caring for children and challenging them to be their best through an age-appropriate, technically, tactically, physiologically, and psychologically demanding program that will optimize development and create a tremendously positive legacy for humankind. And that may sound like, you know, highfalutin in terms of goals and objectives stuff, you know, but it's realistic. You know, if you really think about this from an academic standpoint, we are giving kids a massive head start that eventually is going to make them feel incredibly positive about what they can do physiologically, about their capabilities to handle the world from a physiological standpoint, you know, and we do it all in a very clever way by triggering their imagination so they're not really thinking about what they're doing physiologically, which is exceptionally advanced for their age. They're just thinking about their pet bobcat and doing the thing in a way that we've shown them that is part of a story. So they're motivated and repetition is the key to success, right? Anything you want to be fantastic at, you have to do it again and again and again. That's the antithesis of what a three-year-old wants to do. They want to use their imagination, make it up as they go along. They're totally spontaneous, and, and we get their imagination triggered to where they repeat the things that are going to make them superstars with a soccer ball at their feet. It's very Brazilian you know, in its emphasis on creativity and beauty, you know, but it's very, very sneaky. It's very, very sly in terms of, you know, we use the stories and things that that we don't have the advantages that Brazil has because it's part of Brazilian culture, right? So we don't have that passion for the game. Our kids have got thousands of options of things that they can be doing when they're two, three, and four, you know, and many of them just involve sitting and watching videos or TV, you know. And so if we're going to get them up and moving, you know, we don't have the advantage of, of hey, all the kids are out there kicking a soccer ball around. And, and you know, we want to be like, you know, you, you were just talking about Anthony, you know, who does moves just for the sake of doing moves, even in the EPL, you know. And, you know, and so Brazil has thousands of those role models and the culture to back it up. We don't. We have to superimpose it on the culture. And I have not seen or found a better way to superimpose skill and creativity on the American culture than Happy Feet, or the worldwide culture, because of our places all over the world. You know, I haven't found a better way than Happy Feet to superimpose this on cultures that aren't Brazilian by nature. Does that make sense, Philippe? No, 100%. I, I shared with Andy the other day, one of our coaches here that coaches in North Kansas City, Guy, uh, just had a daughter. She's, I mean, a few months old, and like it's a video of her on her crib, and he's having, holding a ball, and he's smashing the ball on her left foot, and in her right foot, but more on the left foot because he wants her to be left footed. But it's like I'm guilty of that. It's the, <laughs> it's the stuff that we do. It's like you know, it, it's what she knows, and all her toys involve soccer balls, and you know, it's a girl. If it was a boy, it would be in steroids because. You know, you obviously, any, any dad that played soccer gets a little boy. like, he's going to be the next, you know, Messi. He's going to be the next Cristiano Ronaldo. So, I mean, that's, that's how we start. That's literally how early we start. I, all my memories that I can think of, 
you know, way back in the days when I was little, the younger I am, the more it's soccer, soccer, soccer. It's watching soccer game with my dad. It's playing soccer with my dad or my uncles. You know, it's going to school and finding a way to, to kick a ball or a Coca-Cola can or whatever it was, you know. It's just soccer. I don't have anything that I can remember from those times that I was five and, and younger. It's, it's just soccer. So I want to build off something Andy was saying before. He's talking about, you know, the academia related to, to the, the why behind what we do. Um, and um, if, you look at, if you look at child development, social-emotional development for children, um, there's a point in which kids move from an intrinsic, independent, uh, me, me, me first uh, related uh, uh, perspective on the world to one where peers and, 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 and those around them have a pretty big impact or imprint on the decisions they make and what they choose to do and choose not to do, um, right? We know this. We've heard this. Us as coaches or educators are aware of this. Well, I'm bringing this up because it really highlights the need for um, programs like this that emphasize creativity and self-concept building in, in the preschool age group. Because that moment where kids switch from a me first, give it to me, it's mine, 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 and independent play to, um, to, to peer thought always is usually around kindergarten. It's usually when kids leave the preschool and go to the elementary school. The problem with this thought process is that if we want our kids to be um, really creative and willing to, to take things on, try things outside of their comfort zone, we've got to connect with them before there's an outside peer fair, fa uh, fear of failure um, perspective that starts to sneak in. If you ask a seven or an eight-year-old, hey, I'd like you to make this goofy look on your face and do this kind of silly dance in front of the group, most of the group would elect not to do it because they don't want to be seen by their peers as being goofy or failing or, or being doing something dumb. Now, there's always going to be inevitably some Andrews in the crowd that have the class clown um, uh, attitude and perspective, right, that will be eager to jump through and do the dumb thing and fail in front of everybody else. But that's the minority, not the majority. That's why getting kids involved in the two and three and four-year-old age group before this change happens is so important. Because if I were to ask a three or a four-year-old to try a Maradona turn or the happy feet version of the first step of a Maradona turn, they, their enthusiasm toward doing that is actually pretty great because they're, they're one, not worried about what their peers will think of them if they're not successful. Two, um, there's a coach that's asking them to do that. And then that young age group, they're pretty pleasing of coaches that are fun and dynamic and creative. And so we have the opportunity for a few short years before they go off to kindergarten, you're thinking two, three, especially three and four, where their brains and their social and emotional stage of development matches up perfectly with encouraging them to expand their comfort zone, to fail and succeed through numerous failures over and over and over again. And Andy, you and Philippe and I and our entire club talk all the time about the importance of being willing to fail with the ball at your feet publicly. And that is a breakthrough we have to get through in the seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 and up phases. 
But what an opportunity we have as an organization, as coaches, if we can get kids to develop a higher self-concept than they would normally by helping them break through that fear of failure um, when they're two, three, and four, when socially and emotionally, mentally, from a, from a development perspective, their brains are perfectly set up for it. And, and one of the axioms, which is a universal truth of, of, of coaching, is that um, when you're really coaching advanced skills and you're trying to do it at an early age, um, it's the kids that are willing to fail the most, you know, that end up succeeding to the greatest degree. And that's really, you know, a, a conundrum there, isn't it? They're opposites. You know, you, you have to experience the greatest failure in order to be the greatest success. And, you know, and we all know, though, in society, it's been proven that starting kids out in sports early gives them a tremendous head start. You know, and, you know, what athletes can we think of that started early that became world superstars? Anybody spring to mind? Uh, Messi? No, obviously in soccer, yeah, Lionel Messi. Mean, soccer, all of them. Oh, all of them. <laughs> Every single great soccer player, you know, you'd go back in their history and, you know, they were literally, you know, as they popped out of their mother's womb, you know, if they had a head first exit, you know, the father threw a ball at them and then he headed it back. You know, it, it was... I tried that during Liv's birth and the doctor frowned on it. <laughs> I succeeded with all my five, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kicked him as he tried to get in the way, you know, because that was my background. I hacked him. Kid, you know? the ki- Andy's daughter were coming out, uh, out and he was sliding tackle them. <laughs> but I tell you, you got to toughen up. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it, but Tiger Woods. Oh, yeah. Great you point. Know, I mean, the, you know, the, you know, his dad, Earl. You know, had him, you know, from the minute he could hold a club, he had him holding something in his hands that he swung and he hit things with. You know, and, uh, you know, when he was three, he was on TV chipping a ball into a dryer, would you believe? You know, because he did it at home. You know, and so, you know, this was, you know, the, the party piece of Tiger Woods, but the skill for a little kid was just off of the charts. So things that were totally outside of professional goalkeepers, uh, goal, goal, uh, golfers uh, experience later on Tiger Woods you know under pressure could do these things because it's all he'd ever known you know was hitting targets right from an early age and you know and you think of the the Williams sisters mm-hmm. you know and once again they had a father that you know that engaged them early in playing tennis you know and so that was what they did was beat a ball against a wall when they were kids again and again and again they grew up you know almost with an extension of their arm being a tennis racket you know and so this early exposure gives kids a head start and like you were saying well begun is half done and it's really hard or maybe even impossible if that kid stays committed for others to catch up with kids that are introduced in the right way to sporting participation. And you look at other sports, you, you have example of basketball players in the NBA that started, you know, playing basketball at 15, at 16, because, you know, they were six, seven, seven foot tall. Right, you don't see that in soccer. Why? You you're doing stuff with your feet. It's way less intuitive than your hand. Football, the guy is huge. He can learn later on to be, you know, a linebacker or whatever. Soccer, there's not. I I dare everybody to show somebody that kicked a ball for the first time at age ten. They made it 
far in soccer. Yep. It just it just doesn't. Well, soccer is too egalitarian of a sport, right? You look at football and, and and basketball, and there's a physical side of the game that 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 puts other people at a huge advantage um, compared to the average man. And you were saying about failure. The kids that su- that succeed the most are the one that you know embrace failure at the young age uh, the most. There's a quote here from Michael Jordan that is one of my favorites to to exemplify that. Is I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeeded. That's a fantastic quote. You know, and you know you've got to go through failure. And what Happy Feet does, it disguises failure. Yeah. You know, and and so you know the kids of that age are not you know big on you know getting upset by failure anyway you know yep. they fail and they fail and fail if they fall over and how they do you bounce. yeah how do you learn to walk you fall yeah you fall yeah. over get yeah. up fall over get up you know you skin yeah. your knees you get up you know and it's just part of being a kid is falling and getting up you know and so it's getting up one more time than you fall over and what we do is we put them in environments that you know cause them to really challenge their coordination their agility their physical skills and develop um you know a, a, an earlier start and you know, you were talking about uh, other sports and athletes in other sports, and one of the most interesting statistics is in in just about any really competitive and highly agile sport that you know is that the the greatest prep sport worldwide for any other sport in history has typically been soccer. Because it's done with the feet and you have to develop incredible body coordination. And if you look at the NBA and you look at, uh, what's the guy from Eastern Europe that's killing everything? Uh, Doncic? Yeah, at the moment. You know, he's, he grew up playing soccer. The guy can juggle a ball like he's Pelé. You know, he can you know, walk down a court juggling a ball like it's second nature because that was his first sport. That's how he started. And he's not an outlier. You know, he's, he, you know, all of these other guys that, that play basketball from other countries, you know, you, you watch them, they can all juggle a ball, they can all kick a ball, they've uh, you, all got good soccer skills. You look at skills. tennis, you look at Rafael Nadal, you look at Nova Djokovic, they and, all had soccer background as well. An increasing number of American athletes, the same. You can look at Chad Johnson, you can look at Odell Beckham Jr., um, Steve Nash, I don't think he's American, but I think Canada kind of fits in from a cultural perspective. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and increasingly got their start in in soccer because soccer um, is, is as you just said, right, the, the ability to develop, you know, your, your foot coordination um, is, is a building block of literally every sport. The leading all-purpose, at least for a while, uh, in, in a run uh, points gainer in the NFL was, was Darren Sproles, and he used to play for me. You know, he played for the Legends Club before he specialized into football, you know, and developed a ton of his coordination and his Maradona turn that he used, especially at K-State, if you watch the highlight films, you know. And so it developed a level of coordination and agility that he could not have developed any other way because it's incredibly hard to build skill, you know, uh, in, in other sports as compared to soccer. Because when you're dribbling a ball at your feet and you're trying to move at speed and you're trying to change direction and you're trying to do Maradona turns, you build this unbelievable level of coordination, you know, that is impossible to build in any other sport, especially hand-based sports. 
and and soccer is the only foot-based sport of any note you know so darren built these incredible you know abilities agility coordination with the ball at his feet you know kobe bryant grew up as an army brat in italy and he always said that the reason he was so good at basketball was his soccer background yeah because you know he had this incredible coordination and ability to do things with his feet that he could put you know his body movement on autopilot and think about everything away from the ball and so he had better tactical awareness because his foot skills which is supreme you know and this isn't one off Christian Okoye of the Chiefs, the Nigerian nightmare. You know, learned his coordination and his agility for a huge fella. You know, a, you know, with a ball at his feet. You know, and so he became an instant success in the NFL. And don't get me started on NFL kickers because they were all soccer players <laughs> when they were younger. You know, it's just incredible how much. You know, soccer influenced the ability of one of the most important players on the team, which is the guy that can put the ball through the post from 60 yards. You know, so, you know, soccer has a massive influence on other sports, you know, and, and in tennis, Roger Federer, for example, you know, you mentioned Nadal and you mentioned Djokovic. Federer's, you know, initial sport was soccer when he was growing up in Switzerland. John McEnroe's initial sport was soccer. Boris Becker's initial sport. Bjorn Borg's initial sport. All soccer players when they were younger. It's the guys that are not that good at soccer that they, they, they go to other sports and they succeed. <laughs> uh, Otherwise, they would like always stay with that soccer. That sounds like a Philippe Kahn. <laughs> God, I hate Brazilians. You know, I love the way they play the game, but you know, they, they carry this around as their badge of honor. You it's know. true, though. Like The kid that is tall, oh, you're not that good. Go play basketball. <laughs> Well, I, I want to make sure I want to make sure we cover today, though, uh, you know, so so if you're listening, hopefully you've gotten to a point where you're like, OK, I, guys, I get it right. Like there is so much value into having kids become, you know, a, a four year old expert with the ball at their feet. Um, and and we understand that that there's really two ways to kind of over, oversee that. Right. One is is, is the Tom Byer approach, which I think is spot on when you've got a, a willing parent that can really engage the kids with the ball um, at their feet at home. Unfortunately, we don't have willing parents with the time and energy to do that at any type of scale um, uh, yet. Uh, maybe, maybe someday we will. I don't, don't, don't hold your uh, horses for that. Uh, uh, but the second piece is a specifically designed program um, that that gives kids the platform to really lean into this this nursery rhyme song, imagination based play with the ball at their feet. And Happy Feet um, has been a leading program in that direction for uh, almost two decades. So the question is, how in your local community do you implement that? How do you benefit from a program uh, um, on that front? And, and I guess the first question I'd have for you listening at home is, is there a program like this? Um, I think, unfortunately, too often, if you were to be honest with yourself and go st stand on the sideline um, uh, and, or in the periphery and watch these sessions, I think you would say, mm, this, this isn't what it could be. I, as a coach, you know, take my bias away and really look at what I'm seeing. And that's not what I expect to see. And so, I, I mean, I genuinely should be very clear. We've partnered with people all across the United States and really across the world to help them develop a program um, using, you know, Andy's um, last, what, 30 plus years, 35 years um, experience beginning with Mike Bell on Long Island, right? Um, which I'm disappointed you've yet to say the word the Gus, but the banana goblin gorilla, because uh, I think that was the first character that I remember you mentioning, um, at least the, the, the first culturally appropriate character that I remember you mentioning. Um, culturally to, uh, appropriate character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
culturally um, appropriate character. Um, and and I, I think we have to explain that. <laughs> you know, and there it, was it, a time. I mean, there was a time it, when using the term Indian was okay. Yeah, you know, because you know, this these days we've cut this out of the curriculum completely, altogether. Yeah. You know, altogether. But you know, at one point in time, we we had a fun game that the kids enjoyed to a tremendous degree, and you know, kids of all races, religions, colors, and creeds uh, enjoyed to a tremendous degree, and and we called the game Hiawatha the Dribbling Indian, you know, because we weren't aware of the negative connotations. You know the the you know underpin. When you know better, you do better. And when, right, right. And, and I mean, we're talking decades ago, but it was not recent. But when we knew better, we did better, and we used Gus the Banana Goblin Gorilla and other characters of the like. Um, and honestly, our coaches intertwine current day characters. You know what the kids are watching now, which I can't. I, my kids are all older now, and I don't currently coach Happy Feet, so I can't tell you what they're watching now. But whatever they're watching on TV now, our coaches are implementing games and activities and stories. Stories um, and imagine-based play based on those characters um, that are building these skills. And so, um, I mean, clearly, uh, I want to make just sure I state to you, the the audience, that if this is something you're interested in potentially exploring, you know, reach out to us. We'd be more than happy to um, engage with you guys a little bit on that front. And you know, we have so much content and so much uh, um, uh, to offer in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, everything, it's, you know, we have video lessons, we have all the breakdowns of each skill for every month, and, you know, a ton of material that can help the coaches uh, get better and educated in the curriculum. We have a a Happy Feet University, which is a great platform for a coach to get trained, you know, virtually, and, you know, we just want to make sure everybody around the country and around the world, honestly, are you know within their tweaks or their culture and whatever but everybody is doing things the right way and in the right message you, you say that and I, I really want to share this because it's one of my more proud moments as a happy feeder uh, of the last few decades um, when COVID hit and the world shut down we had to figure out how do we continue to run this like everything right how do we continue to run this program but to do it virtually um and uh i I remember right away i was like you know what i'll take my kids we'll go to the indoor facility nobody's there um and i'll coach a happy feet class to a camera and we'll record it and then we'll throw it on youtube and see what happens and i'll never forget like i mean within 24 hours i'm being sent back videos of kids in ecuador with our partner Henry down there in Ecuador, um, he'd shared the video that I'd put on. I think I took my kids on a trip to the zoo or something like that with Bob the Bobcat, and uh, and there were kids in Ecuador, like literally, you know, three feet from the the big screen TV in the living room, following along exactly with all of the movements that I was doing and engaged with the story. And I remember thinking. This is so cool. Now, fast forward, you know, eight weeks later, and everybody was like, please, enough with the screen time. Can we figure out how to do this without? But what a moment it was to see to see kids virtually uh, benefit from from the programming that we were And producing. I mean, what you were able to do for these kids, you know, the, imagine if we were struggling at that time, kids that yeah. couldn't see friends yeah. and couldn't play and yeah. were stuck at home the whole time. You know, you gave them something that they could do and they could look forward to. And we also, after you started doing a lot of our franchisees, started yeah. putting content as well. And, you know, it's, I mean, it, it's such a great program that even in the virtual setting, it can engage the kids. So imagine, you know, what a good coach can do with the kids in person. Yeah. 
And, and you know, I've got a list of things here that uh, are real positives about the happy feet approach, you know. And, and so, you know, let's, let's kind of deal with these and I'm going to throw these out to you and see what your comments are. You know, I'm kind of intrigued. Uh, the first comment is that, you know, preschool, Mother's Day out and daycare numbers have never been higher due to the rising number of families where both parents work. Right. You know, and how does happy feet play into that, in your opinion? Uh, good question. So and there was a dip a little bit. Uh, during COVID, of course, uh, obviously, yeah, right? Of course. But but the preschool numbers are coming back strong, rebounding. Yeah. They're rebounding really strong. Um, and and so what? I mean, I, what makes Happy Feet super unique, aside from the curriculum that we've talked about, is um, and Andy, I think this idea rests almost entirely with you. Um, but you went around and knocked on preschools' doors and said, "Hey, I've got this really awesome preschool soccer program called Happy Feet in this curriculum. Would it be possible for me to bring a coach in and and just have a fun uh, session with you guys and show you what I've got. And uh, you did that. And the preschool, the preschool director said, Ooh, could you do this every week? Yeah, for sure. We could do this every week. And we built a program entirely around going to preschools and mother's day out um, uh, uh, programs. Um, and so uh, I'm going to pull an Andy. I don't remember exactly what your specific question was, but I will say that happy feet feeds specifically into um, the ability to partner with, you know, don't don't expect them to bring their kids to you. Let's take the program to the kids where it's most convenient for parents while they're working. They don't have to worry about an extra activity in the evenings or on the weekends. We can do our program in the preschool during the preschool day. And that's been a game. I mean, thousands and thousands. I mean, at this point. In Kansas City, I think it'd be fair to say we're well north of 75,000 kids that have participated in Happy Feet in their preschools um, since inception of the program in 2006. Well, it's funny because I have some boys on my 2019 that, you know, share pictures of to me that, you know, with them playing Happy Feet, uh, you know, Cerner's headquarters here, they had a daycare there and, you know, one of the parents was showing the other day when I worked at Cerner, that's how I got into Legends because they bring, brought Happy Feet here and they, you know, he loved it. So after that, we, we brought him to Legends and he's still a Legends up to this day. Ian Wilkinson uh, is the co-coach with Peter Wilkinson's dad on my son's uh, 2010 boys team. Ian Wilkinson has the uh, started playing at Happy Feet at age like four. And that video has gone viral and been viewed like 30,000 times on YouTube. Um, and now he's a Legends coach. So it's been around for a long time. Yeah, and, 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 you know, we start the program really, really early, you know, so, you know, we, we get under every other sporting program that's out there because we're starting the program really early, you know, when, you know, the kids are, you know, first able to, you know, to, to, to walk and, you know, utter sounds and stuff like that. Um, you know, and actually I've been working on a program that, you know, is even earlier, you know, like I've, like the womb Maradona is something I'm working on, you know, yeah. and the, the womb Puskas, yeah. you know, it's, you know, we're, we're bringing that out, you know, in the somewhat near future, you know, because I, I think there's great possibility in that direction to get even further ahead. You know, you joke, but when you first launched Happy Feet, joking. I, uh, <laughs> when you, when, when you, when we first launched Happy Feet, that was the, that was the joke made leveled at us by the other clubs and organizations as town like oh you're going to start teaching soccer to two-year-olds what's next you're going to do it in the womb and they were they were genuinely mocking us only a few short years later to realize that we'd we developed and helped and we captured the market in Kansas City in that age group and now they were following and, and imitating because they recognized the the intelligence behind it. I, so I'm working on sperm and egg happy feet <laughs> at this moment. That'd be great. I, it's I in the pipeline. I can't wait. <laughs> in the pipeline. <laughs> Get it. The pipeline. <laughs> 
And like for for everybody that has a soccer club, there's no better feeding system than having a happy feed base. I you, mean, business wise, it's the the facilities that we talk about all the time would not exist if it weren't for happy feed. You get these kids after they graduate happy feet and they're five and you're like, you already have your club set up and, you know, they, they, they're right at the front door. You know, you get them involved. The front door doing their Maradona's waiting for you to open. Correct. Yep. Andy, do you have anything last, we're going to have to wrap up here in a second that you wanted to share before. I, I know I always get to say that because I'm looking at the uh, table in front of you. I thought that was the Bible, but it's just his notes. It's just his notes. <laughs> I, I've got, I've got another three hours of a podcast in front of me. Um, so are we finishing then? Yeah, we've got to wrap up, yeah. I wanted to read this to finish, and this is kind of jumping through a whole bunch of stages that I wanted to cover, but it seems to be always the way we never get to everything. You know, I take most of the stuff I bring with me, I take with me, you know, for some future date, and then we never get around to it, you know? so We just have so much to talk about, which yeah. is great. <laughs> well, um, so, you know, this is what I prepared for the ending. Experts worldwide have discussed the unique Happy Feet Legends coaching philosophy. Some say it saves children by giving them a soccer education that is creative, gutsy, leadership-oriented, and fair, one that maximizes potential. Others say it will destroy the lessons learned from having to earn, play in time, and win. Some praise our program because we develop incredibly talented offensive team leaders. Others accuse our players of being selfish. The truth is that over 34 years ago when Happy Feet and the Legends programs were founded, no one knew how this revolutionary approach would pan out. The good news is we now know how incredibly successful the Happy Feet Legends approach has been. What our program has achieved in soccer, plus the way in which it has trained leaders for life, has been truly remarkable. Initially, we developed amazing deceptive dribblers, goal scorers, and penetrating passers. Ultimately, we helped our players become adults capable of and motivated towards making a big positive difference in society. The long-term impact of our unique approach has been far better and greater than any of the original legends parents expected. Most of today's unique, fun developmental practices didn't exist when the club was formed. Our one-of-a-kind indoor training was in its infancy. Our brave creative leadership approach was just dawning. And our beautiful game culture, a nod to Brazil, Philippe, was merely a twinkle in our coach's eyes. Many Happy Feet Legends ideas come from intense study of the soccer hotbeds and gold mines around the world. We incorporated unique aspects of development from the most successful eras and environments in Argentinian, Brazilian, Croatian, Dutch, English, Ghanaian, and Icelandic history, etc., etc. Yes, even little old Iceland taught us valuable lessons. These hotbeds had an unpredictability, uh, unpredictability that is typical of groundbreaking concepts and ideas. Many of today's most successful tech companies started out with no clear idea of what they would become. That's how we started out. We experimented year after year, decade after decade. You know, we became more creatively oriented. You know, we challenged our players to take risks that other clubs didn't challenge their players to take. And the ultimate reason for our existence is that when our players grow up, they don't fear failure. They'll go for it. They will be the ones that will say, give me the ball. 
I will take the responsibility. I will run with it. I will do everything you want me to do, and I will be successful because I am going to go for it, and I'm going to make things happen, and I'm going to fail, and I'm going to learn, and I'm going to grow, you know, and they will do this with a purest perspective on life because of the way that we brought them up to at first be incredibly talented and then eventually be incredibly team-oriented whilst being willing to carry the team on their back for a certain percentage of the game that helps the team get over the hump and win really important games. Does that make sense? Uh, couldn't say it better myself. Um, maybe, w- maybe I could, but that was good enough. <laughs> <laughs> said like a true Brazilian. <laughs> uh, you know, for us Kansas Cityans, hoping that Patrick Mahomes puts the team on our back this weekend and makes things happen. Will he um, even play? Uh, he will play. Uh, or, I mean, in the boardroom, right? Like your company's in, in some trouble. We want, our, we want our graduates to be ones who say, give me the project. I'll take it. I'll make it happen uh, because the fear of failure doesn't exist. That's where growth happens. That's where uh, progress happens. Um, and that's why we do what we do. We just so happen to also do it using the best sport in the world. And, and because this was a short episode, you forced me to jump through about you know ten different stages that I was going to deal with before getting to it was the an conclusion. A- it was an hour. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. Thank you, Philippe. Thank you, Andy. Until next time. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye.